Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read in uh, Matthew's Gospel in chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and reading verses 16 down to 20. We read now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. On Thursday, I had the privilege of officiating at the wedding of Anna Herriot from our own congregation uh, to Struan Makara. And during the service, I shared a story about one of my first uh, meetings, one of my first encounters with Anna. I had only recently come to the High Three and was uh, preaching at a communion service on the West Side. I won't say uh, what service that was in case I get into trouble Uh, But it was particularly encouraging when I was taking that service to see that Anna and uh, some of her friends had come along to the service, uh, coming all this way to support their new minister. And so I I preached my heart out, as I tried to do uh, week by week. And after preaching my heart out, Anna came up to me holding her notebook uh, with a grin on her face and saying, that sounded familiar. And she proceeded to show me from her notebook that uh, I preached the same sermon in the High Three a few weeks earlier. And not only had she been able to know when the sermon was about to finish, she had been able to tell those beside her when the sermon was about to finish. Well, I never find it easy deciding what to preach on at a baptism service. There's only so many times that you can preach on Jesus welcoming the children without the congregation rolling their eyes and saying, well, that sounds familiar, here we go again. And so this morning I want to do something slightly different and preach on the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28. And while I hope that it will be an encouragement to the whole congregation, I hope it will be especially applicable to uh, Murdo and to Megan, to Lewis and to Donna Marie, as you seek to raise uh, Noah and Seamus. So we're going to look at these verses under three headings, the great claim, the great command, and finally the great comfort. First we have the great claim, verses 16 to 18. Here Matthew focuses on the great claim that Jesus makes. Now as we come to these verses, it's important that we note the context. A lot has taken place in the last few chapters of Matthew's Gospel. In chapter 26, Matthew recorded the betrayal, the arrest, the interrogation of Jesus. He had been betrayed by his friend Judas. He had been arrested by a crowd who had uh, been sent by the chief priests and the religious leaders. And he had been interrogated by the high priest and the religious council. Then in chapter 27, Matthew recorded the trial, the death, and the burial of Jesus. He had been put on trial by the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. He had been put to death by crucifixion. And then he had been buried in the tomb of a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And then in chapter 28, Matthew records a number of unusual events that took place. Some women had gone to Jesus' tomb, where they met an angel who had told them that Jesus was risen. And as if that wasn't startling enough, 
they had then met the risen Jesus as they were going on their way back to the disciples. And the risen Jesus had told these women to go and tell his friends, tell his brothers to go to Galilee where they would see him. And with that context in mind, we come to the appearance, verses 16 and 17. We're told that the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Matthew begins by highlighting that there were 11 disciples. There had been 12, but Judas, having betrayed Jesus, had gone and hung himself. Matthew also highlights that the 11 went to a mountain in Galilee. Jesus had told the women to tell the disciples to go to Galilee where they would see him. And now they're going to the place where they expect to see Jesus. They're going to the place where so much of his early ministry had taken place. And we're then told that the disciples saw Jesus. Look at verse 17. In Matthew 26, Jesus had told them that they would all fall away. They would all be scattered when he, the shepherd, was struck and arrested. But he had also told them that he would be raised. And that he would go before them to Galilee. And now they see the risen Jesus standing before them in Galilee. Just as he had said. And we're told how they reacted to his appearance. Verse 17 again. They worshipped him. They bowed before him. And Jesus receives that worship. However, some of them have doubts. Some of them are hesitating. Some of them are holding back. They can hardly believe that the man who had been crucified just days ago is now standing before them. We can move from the appearance to the announcement in verse 18. We're told that Jesus spoke to the disciples. Beginning of verse 18, Matthew has just highlighted that some of them were doubting. And Jesus seeks to address their doubts by speaking to them. That is the place to go when you have doubts. You don't go to your feelings. You don't go to your emotions. You don't go to your experiences. You go to the word of Jesus when you have doubts. And Jesus spoke to them and he informs them that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And throughout Matthew's gospel there is this great emphasis on the authority, the power of Jesus. We see his authority over nature, the, the seas, the storms. We see his authority over disease, leprosy, lameness, blindness. We see his authority over demons, Satan and all his minions. We see his authority over sin, how he can pronounce a person forgiven with just a word. And we see his authority over death, that he can take a dead girl by the hand and raise her back to life. And now Jesus tells his followers that all authority, not some authority, not a good bit of authority, but all authority has been given to him. All authority in heaven, all authority on earth, all of it given to him. Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we can hear the great claim that Jesus makes for himself. He is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. That is a massive claim to divine sovereignty. This Jesus holds the entire universe in his hands. Every atom, every molecule belongs to him and is sustained by him. Everything and everyone is under him, subordinate to him, whether they realize it or not. Everything going on in Hollywood right now, under Jesus. Everything going on in Hollywood right now, under Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. The Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper famously said that there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ 
who is sovereign over all, does not exclaim, mine. That was true yesterday, it is true today, and it will be true tomorrow. It was true when our parents were alive, true when our grandparents were alive, it will be true when our children and our grandchildren are alive. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, forever, with all authority. And the question that I am presenting to you today, friends, is do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus rules and reigns over all things? The seen and the unseen. And do you believe that he is ruling and reigning, that he is fully in control, even over the COVID and costs of living crisis that we are currently experiencing? Because if you speak to some Christians, I'm not accusing anyone here of that, but if you speak to some Christians, you would wonder, is Jesus actually reigning the way they're carrying on? Do you, friends, believe that Jesus is ruling and reigning over the COVID and costs of living crisis, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. That is his great claim. But we move from the great claim to the great command. Look at verses 19 and 20. Matthew now focuses on the great command that Jesus issues. Having made the great claim, Jesus gives the great command in verse 19. He begins by giving the disciples the command, the imperative, to make disciples. A disciple is a learner, a follower. And in Matthew's Gospel, a disciple is someone who learns from and follows Jesus. A disciple is someone who commits themselves, their whole being, to Jesus. And Jesus now commands his disciples, his followers, to make disciples. That is not a suggestion. That is not a bit of good advice. That is a command given by the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, make disciples. And Jesus tells his disciples that they're to make disciples of all nations. If you remember, some of you a few weeks ago in our series in Matthew chapters 8 to 10, we saw how Jesus told the disciples to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Prior to his death and resurrection, there was a very narrow focus to his mission. But now, following his death, following his resurrection, and with the great claim that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, he says to his disciples, go to all nations, whoever they are, wherever they're from, no restrictions. And Jesus goes on to tell his disciples how they are to go about this task of making disciples. Look at verses 19 and 20. He starts by telling them that they are to make disciples by going. Go. They are not to be passive and say, well, people can come to us. They are to be active and they are to be going to people. They are to be consciously and deliberately going to people with the intention of seeing them becoming disciples of Jesus. He continues by telling them that they are to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a sign, it is a mark that a person belongs to the living God, and not only to the living God, but to his people, his church. They have his name, they have his mark of ownership placed on them. And the God to whom the baptized person belongs is the triune God who has one name and he is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. 
And finally, Jesus tells them that they are to make disciples, not just by going to people, not just by baptizing people, but by teaching them to observe all that he had commanded them. Verse 20, they are to teach them all the things that Jesus commanded. Not just the nice things, not just the easy things, not just the palatable things, not just the comfortable and comforting things, but all things. They are to teach them all that Jesus commanded, everything that Jesus spoke about, and they are to teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded. The commands of Jesus aren't simply to be learned, the commands of Jesus are to be lived. Please hear me clearly. A disciple doesn't obey Jesus' commands in order to be saved, accepted by God. Instead, a disciple obeys Jesus' commands because they've been saved, because they've been accepted by God. And they're now walking with Jesus and they are following Jesus and they are living in obedience to Jesus. That is the mark, that is the fruit of their new discipleship. Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we can hear the great command that Jesus gives to his followers. He's the one who calls him to make disciples, followers of him, people who will be committed to him. You know, friends, I'm going to be very controversial now. And apologies to those of you who are visiting, but I'm going to be controversial. Jesus is not really concerned about professions of faith. Jesus is far more concerned about progression in the faith. He is far more concerned about people following after him observing his commands, living as his disciples, than their names being written down on a little communion roll put away in the Kirk Session documents. And he calls, he commands, he commissions his followers to be active in making those kinds of disciples. And that is the calling, that is the commission, that is the command that is given to every Christian who is here today. You have been called, you have been commissioned, you have been commanded by the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth to be active and engaged in making disciples. You have been called, you have been commissioned, you have been commanded to be active and engaged in, in encouraging others to listen to Jesus and learn from Jesus and follow Jesus and spend their lives walking and talking with Jesus. And that is the calling, that is the commission, that is the command that is given to Murdo and to Megan, to Lewis and to Donna Marie, and to every single parent in this congregation. You might have been sitting here today and wondering to yourself, what has any of this got to do with baptism? And I am saying to you today, friends, that this has everything to do with the baptism of your child. This has everything to do with the raising of your children. This passage is calling you, Murdo, and Megan through there, and you, Lewis, and you, Donna Marie, and every single parent in this congregation, whether your children are five years old or 50 years old, to be a great commission parent. The Christian counsellor Paul Tripp calls this the number one parenting passage in the whole Bible. Listen to what he says. Your job as a Christian parent is to do everything within your power as an instrument in the hands of the Redeemer who has employed you to woo, encourage, 
call and train your children to willingly and joyfully live as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. This calling is more important than how they do in school, or how positively they contribute to the reputation of your family, or how well they set themselves up for a future career, or how well they do in sports and the arts, or how well they are liked by adults and peers. These things are not unimportant, but we must not let them rise to the importance of this one thing, discipleship. And so as we consider this, I want to ask every single person here, are we serious about the business of making disciples, followers of Jesus? Do we see this as our great commission or is it possible that it has become our great omission? A very serious thing when we begin to disobey what the one who has all authority in heaven and earth commands us to do when we say, well, I'll leave the disciple work to someone else. Third and finally, we have the great comfort. Look at verse 20. Matthew now focuses on the great comfort that Jesus gives. Remember what he has just said. He has called on his followers to engage in a significant task. As the one who has authority in heaven and on earth, he has commanded them to make disciples, commanded them to make followers of him, and he has called them to make disciples of all nations. There is no limit, there is no restriction on where they're to go or who they're to go to. And while that is a significant task, it is also, from a human perspective, a seemingly impossible task. You see, these are fearful men. Ordinary men. People like you and me. And these fearful men are being commanded to go to the Roman Empire, where Caesar, the emperor, was called Lord. And they are to announce, no, Jesus is Lord. These fearful men are being commanded to go to their fellow Jews who believed that there was only one true God, and they are to say to them, yes, yes, there is one true God, and his name is Jesus, whom you crucified. That is an awesome task. That is almost threatening to overwhelm these men. And so look at what Jesus now says in verse 20. He begins by saying, behold, pay attention, I am with you. Gospel of Matthew begins with the resounding declaration that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. The Gospel of Matthew now closes with the ringing declaration that Emmanuel, God with us, this Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth, will be with his disciples as they make disciples. Whatever they might be, whoever they might be with, and whatever they might be facing, He'll be with them. And he closes by saying that he will be with them always to the end of the age. He he will be with them always, literally, the whole of every day. That's a lovely phrase, isn't it? I will be with you the whole of every day. And he doesn't simply say, I will be with you the whole of every day. He says, I will be with you the whole of every day until the end of the age, until the final consummation of all things. There is never going to be a moment, there is never going to be a minute when he will not be with them. Well, as we consider these verses, we can hear the great comfort that Jesus gives to his followers. The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth promises to be with them as they go about making disciples. 
As we go through the Old Testament, we find the Lord promising his presence to his people in the different tasks that he calls them to. In Exodus 3, the Lord promises Moses that he will be with him as he stands before Pharaoh. In Joshua chapter 1, the Lord promises Joshua that he will be with him as he leads them into the promised land. In Judges, the Lord promises Gideon that he will be with him as he fights the Midianites. In Jeremiah chapter 1, the Lord promises Jeremiah that he will be with him in his prophetic ministry. And now Jesus comforts his disciples by promising to be with them in their task of making disciples. That is the promise, that is the comfort that is given to every Christian as they engage in this great commission of making disciples. The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth will be with them. He'll be with them. I've got weddings on the brain right now. I feel like I've just jetted in almost from Anna's wedding and getting ready for for my own and then I've got another two coming on later in the year. It's just this year of weddings and here is Jesus and he is saying, I will be with you for better or worse. I will be with you in sickness and in health. I will be with you for richer and poorer. And he says, and I will be with you so that not even death, not even the last enemy will be able to separate you from me, will be able to snatch you from my hand, will be able to tear you away from my presence. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself, I could never go about the task of making disciples. You find it hard telling people that you go to church. Some of you are sitting here and hoping and praying that no one will ask you where you were on Sunday. Maybe some of you find it hard telling people that you're a Christian. You're happy to say, well, I go to church. But if they start asking any more questions, you're like, don't ask me. I don't want people to know I'm a Christian. I will never go to the Lord's table. I will never go to the prayer meeting because I don't want questions to be asked. And maybe some of you would never dream of speaking about Jesus to people. Encouraging them become followers of him. That just seems impossible. You see, I've said this to the Hyphy before, so apologies again to those of you who are visiting, but I'm a bit of a messed up pastor. I find it very easy to tell people to come along to church. I find it very hard to tell them about the importance of following Jesus. And maybe that's true for some in this building today. You find it easy to say, will you come along to the high free? But say to someone, will you not follow after Jesus? That's just, that's just impossible. And this Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth says, I will be with you. And that is the promise that he gives to Murdo and to Megan. And to Lewis and Donna Marie and to every parent as you go about raising your children. I will be with you. I will be with you when you're struggling to get Noah and Seamus into the crash. I will be with you in years to come when you're trying to take Noah and Seamus to Sunday school. I will be with you as you're having family worship in the home with Noah and Seamus. I will be with you when Noah and Seamus hit those terrible teens and you don't want to go near the youth fellowship. And I will be with you in all the other experiences, all the other providences that you have as parents with Noah and Seamus. I will be with you. 
And so as we close, I hope today, friends, that your hearts will be encouraged. I hope that every Christian who is here today will be encouraged by this promise, this comfort that is given by the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. I will be with you. You are not going out that building on your own, friend. And I hope that if you came here today and you're not yet a Christian, that you would be encouraged to come to and follow the one who gives such promises, who gives such comforts. How, friend, could you possibly want to hold back from the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth and says to every one of his people, however strong they might be or however weak they might be, I will be with you. Will you not, friend, come to him? Let's pray.